Oop, forgot to turn the darn mic on. Okay, this is number 113 of the Biz Women Rock podcast. Let's go. What's going on? This is Katie Kermitzos. I'm your host of Biz Women Rock. This is the place where you will hear really inspirational and really honest stories from business women who have great journeys to share so that your business can truly be touched by it. So excited to introduce my guest to you today. Her name is Alex Ostro, and she started a company called Why Whisper Collective. And it's a very unique business model that does social media and marketing um, for companies and for agencies whose agendas are very socially responsible heavy, meaning they're out there to make social impact. What's unique about her business model is that she actually has about 30 freelancers who come on who have different experiences, different strengths, and she actually customizes which freelancers she uses in order to create a team that's ideal for the client. Not only is this woman an animal lover, which I love, but she has an entirely different metrics for success, which I love and we absolutely get into. You are really going to find that useful. So let's get rolling. Alex, what's going on, girl? Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So excited to have a conversation with you today. Um, Just in our kind of pre-show call, uh, you brought up so many cool, interesting points about how you look at your business. And I'm really excited to be able to share that with everyone and to be able to share your story and your expertise. So um, before you started the Why Whisper Collective, can you give us a, a little bit of a background as to kind of where you came from? Like what was some of your business experience beforehand? Yeah, so my path actually had um, several twists and turns, if you will. Uh, in college, I was actually interning at Vera Wang, and then I went on to Jay Mandel. I was working in sales and merchandising. Um, the thing about that period of time was that I, I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. I just never felt passionate about it, and it was during that year working in fashion that my best friend passed away. Oh, wow. Um, And that really changed my outlook significantly. I kind of became hyper-aware of the fact that our lives are very short and that it doesn't really make sense to continue down a path that we're not passionate about. So in my spare time, I've been volunteering at a local animal rescue. And in a very spur of the moment, and some may call reckless move, (laughs) um, I quit. And I approached the shelter and I asked if they could pay me $10 an hour to run it and that I would waitress in my spare time to pay my bills. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a it was a it was a big jump, and my dad definitely thought I was insane. Uh, <laughs> what was what was the animal shelter? Was it specific for like dogs or cats or just kind of anything? Yeah, it's a small animal rescue in the East Village of Manhattan. Uh, they have dogs, they have cats, they have some random reptiles or bunnies that come in as well. Wow! Um, it's a no kill shelter. They take most of the animals out of the CACC, which is the Center for Animal Care and Control. Wow. That I, I, you know, I have to say this, like I am, I'm like a super animal lover and I am terrified to go volunteer at an animal shelter because I'm afraid (laughs) I will take all the animals home with me. I'm that person. I'm just, I'm actually really scared of it. I've wanted to, to go volunteer and I'm really scared that I'll do that. (laughs) You're talking to the wrong girl because I have a Rottweiler, a shepherd lab and two cats. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I have two birds, but I have like, <laughs> yeah, and a husband. I have, um, uh, but I have like all the feral cats in back of my house and like all over the yeah. neighborhood, which is so bad. And like one of them's pregnant, so I'm feeding her because she looks uber skinny right now. So it's so it's like really bad. So, um, so you, <laughs> so uh, moving into that, you ended up um, working for this animal shelter. How long did you do that? I was there for two years. Wow. Um, and I pretty much ran everything from the marketing and fundraising and operations to uh, cleaning cat litter boxes. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, really from the bottom up, learning how, learning all the different parts of that. Well, I mean, you immediately really moved into really a leadership position there. I mean, were you, were you really kind of the one running everything or, or obviously with a, a huge leadership role? Yeah, it was a tiny little shelter. So there was a big opportunity. And during volunteering, I had really built a strong relationship with the owner of the shelter. So he was there with me, but he was more than happy to hand over the reins, and he was there whenever I needed assistance. So it was a big chance for me. It was something I was passionate about. I understood kind of what needed to happen, you know, the different components of filing paperwork for the city and taking care of the animals. It was it was pretty natural, and I studied um, marketing and communications, so I was doing their marketing and their fundraising kind of as my first job. Wow. What kind of impact did you have doing that work there? Um, we built a lot of processes that previously hadn't been there. So there was a very rudimentary application process and fostering process, and we made that much more seamless. Um, I think, I don't know the, the numbers during the time I was there versus the time before. Um, and, and something you want to be cautious about in the animal rescue world is really not, it's not necessarily how many, although you want to do as many as possible, but it's how many long-term um, adoptions are you doing? Because animals can come back into the shelter and you want to try and make sure that you're matching them appropriately. So we had a really good track record of not having a lot of animals coming back, but those really were good matches for one another based on the application process. Wow. So you got all this really great intimate experience really within nonprofit and kind of running from a higher level all these different components. Where did you go from there? Um, so after two years there, I thought, okay, I need to go into something with a little more structure and, you know, traditional work. And I got a job at Cardozo Law School doing communications and PR. And essentially there I was managing digital print and social media efforts for on behalf of like the admissions department, the academic department, the events, um, down to the clinic. So every law school has kind of these grassroots clinics, such as we had um, just the human rights and genocide clinic, we had the housing rights clinic, and we would put out everything from those booklets that you see when you're applying for a, a school mm -hmm. to marketing the individual events they would have. Wow. And how long were you there? Two years. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're getting internal operational experience at the shelter, kind of putting on all these events. And then you go here, you're getting like really a lot more focused in marketing, communication, social media experience, all that sort of stuff. So I mean, you're it's, it's so funny how like, you know, you don't really know where you are like in that moment. But as you kind of look back on the path that you've had, you could see, oh, yeah, I was gathering all this experience along the way to be able to do what I'm doing now. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I mean, when you hear the next jump, it's another, it's, a, it's even bigger change again <laughs> and every time it's just I can see why I took the, the job that I decided to take and what I extracted out of it and how it played a part in where I am today. Well so did you choose like the the job that you had after this one did you end up choosing it because you needed to learn a skill set or did you just choose it because you were bored with what you were now doing? Um, so 
the law school, I think, was a little a little conservative for me. I learned a ton, but I I tend to think in a very non. I don't know. I like to go big. Um, so I, I guess what happened was I started looking for another nonprofit marketing job. I gave six weeks notice at Cardozo, and a friend approached me and was like, why are you looking at nonprofit? All you ever do is talk about social media. I kind of become obsessed with how, unlike traditional news media, you know, social media gave us a chance to connect with people around the world and make friends. I had made all these friends with social entrepreneurism and um, nonprofits, and I I was really just enamored by all of it. And so I was like, what, what's a job in social media? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and she actually, it turned out, she worked at a social media marketing agency, and she passed along my resume, and I got hired the following week. And, you know, all of a sudden, it was very focused. It was social media activations. I was managing the account over time for Michelin Guys, J.P. Morgan Chase, Barbie, uh, Pepperidge Farm. And, and we were doing everything from managing their social channels in, you know, for their global accounts in English to local market execution in Australia, Canada, France, Italy, Spain. Wow. Um, Germany, UK. <laughs> and then also we would do activations at like New York Fashion Week for Barbie where we did, you know, Barbie's dream closet where kids could come and try on outfits throughout history. Holy cow. Using augmented reality. Yeah. What a cool idea. I mean, I mean, working with all those really big brands, what kind of like what kind of lessons did you learn behind the scenes as far as what really worked for them as far as like what really stuck in social media? What got engagement from them versus stuff that, you know, maybe they were trying that didn't work? I think it's really important to spend the time and the talent essentially creating your own content and really putting yourself out there. Um, a lot of people, I mean, it's important to curate, but it's even more important that you show how you're different and how you differentiate. So I'd say that that was a big, that's a big recommendation that I, I saw coming out of that. And then also um, engaging with the actual community like you were a person. It, we, too often we, we hide behind, and, and the legality around this is a big conversation, but we hide behind the corporate you know, PR-approved messages, and we lose the humanity behind it. And as a brand, you really want to, I mean, you want to be loved by your consumers. That's how you really make sure that you have a long-term customer. So that would be a big thing that I, I saw coming out of that. Mm. So what, uh, after your experience there, like what was it that actually started bubbling this idea of what eventually became the Why Whisper Collective? Um, I went on vacation to Jamaica with my then boyfriend and I just saw I just saw um, a lot of communities in need directly around the hotel that we were staying and I started thinking you know how can I change my life to that you know I'm not rejecting the, the opportunities that I was given but I'm able to use them to kind of further something that's doing better for the world um, and I started a consultancy at that time while I was still working full-time for the the agency and uh, you know, as we basically we were trying to help existing nonprofits on the ground with their efforts, but the problem was I had no time, and you know I was basically working round the clock for my agency job, and, and I couldn't do this nonprofit thing that I was trying to do on the side. Um, and I ended up going to another agency. They recruited me to restructure them and build a strategy department, and again I just wasn't finding the time. So I was there for eight months, and I was given a really big opportunity and a jump up at that company, and I just knew I wasn't happy. I knew that I didn't feel like I was creating an impact, and 
for me, you know, it kind of bubbles back to what I said when my best friend passed away, where I was just like, what is the point of all of this? I know it sounds kind of dark, but, like, why am I even doing this? <laughs> so, right. um, in a spur of a moment, again, I quit. And um, I decided that I wanted to try and figure out how I could build a company that I really felt proud of everything that I was doing on a regular basis. And luckily, I had the support of my past job, you know, my CEO of my past job, and you know, she was kind of there as a mentor to me. But that was kind of the impetus, which was, I'm not happy and this isn't creating change. So what can I do that does? So this would be the perfect opportunity for you to really give like a whole, like, higher level version of exactly what your business model is and what services you're providing and how that really um, lines up with the impact that you're having. Yeah, so... um, Well, when I first quit my job, I was freelancing on my own for companies and organizations that that were furthering what I call social good. So anything trying to better society through their operations or the nonprofit, you know, clearly by giving back to the community. And I I loved being on my own, but I saw two big flaws with it. And the first was that it's lonely. And the second was that my skills could really benefit from complementary skills. So I'm generally strategy and analytics. Um, and bigger picture, and I needed designers, and I needed analysts, and, you know, web designers, web developers. So what I started doing was putting together custom teams to address the needs of each individual client, and, you know, that was really a big differentiator for us because we're often up, up against agencies, and agencies will assign teams, but those aren't teams that are specialized necessarily towards the client, and what we really do is Firstly, assess whether a client is the right fit for us. Is this something that we're going to be passionate about? And then I pull together out of my uh, my network of freelancers, I pull together a team that's going to address the specific needs of that client, both through their skill sets and their passions. Well, let me, okay, so let me ask this question. You mentioned, you know, you kind of take the time to find out if, the, if it's the right client for you. What is that and how do you qualify them? Honestly, it's still changing. Um, when I first went out on my own, I remember saying to a mentor of mine, it's nonprofits, it's social enterprises, and it's impact focused brands. And he was like, you're still too broad. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so and I still, I didn't know how to kind of hone in on that. I knew what I was passionate about. I knew that I was passionate about human rights. Um, I knew I was passionate about education initiatives, health initiatives, and conscious consumption, so being smarter about what we buy. Um, from there, it, it's actually morphed even further. And, and recently I realized it's really about social change. So we want to change something. It's not just about raising money to get to a community. It's how can we raise the discussion around it. So now I'm actually starting to look more towards, um, you know, campaigns for public awareness around policy change or, you know, anti-shame initiatives for women because I think very often that that's an issue, um, human rights campaigns, trying to, to educate the public. So it's really, I mean, social change has kind of become our niche. So, so in that, you're, the services that you're providing for, you know, these groups or associations who want to hire your firm, it's because they want, they want to take their social change, their initiatives, and blow it up on social media and actually really make an impact um, on a global scale about, like, people knowing about the issues and knowing how to move things forward or raising awareness about, you know, either an event that they have coming up or a fundraiser or, um, you know, any sort of, like, big thing that's uh, that's going to happen. Anything like that? Is that correct? 
Absolutely. How can we change it from just being a marketing message to really being informative and educational and trying to move the needle forward? What have been some of the most unique um, strategies that you have been able to really implement that have just been very – because this is the coolest thing about social media is that, you know, I've had really amazing women on the show who are social media strategists. And the vast majority of them, the really smart ones, are the ones saying, look, it's not this one-dimensional thing called – Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. It's really, you know, it's this online, offline marriage. It's all these different cool ways of getting people involved and getting them excited about this thing. So what what kind of strategies, like what's one, for example, that you have pulled off that was just super cool in how multidimensional and really effective it really was? I mean, I say, so basically our offering is usually to come in, we try and do one of three things. So it's either building like the strategy at the upfront. So that's really taking a look at the target audience and, and everything. And it's not necessarily this huge, exciting, I mean, it's exciting for the organization, but it's not necessarily exciting because this massive metric that I can say that people are very excited about. But it's like building out the voice and understanding who they're talking to and why they're talking to them and what they're trying to do. Right. Um, the second thing is with a campaign. And that's probably more of what you're talking about. We're actually gearing up for a really exciting campaign. But most of the work has been, you know, very much the the cornerstone, the the strategy of how they're going to move forward as an organization through marketing. Got it. And I love that because I think that that's actually the unsung work (laughs) that has to happen in order for marketing to be really productive is you have to – you have to know your voice. You have to know who you're who you're talking to and all the different components of that. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the momentum of the execution of this plan um, and the broadcasting of it that it, there, you know, we don't always take out the time to really get very, very clear on that. So your agency really sits down and really hashes through all, all, all of that stuff, right? Yeah, that's pretty much, I mean, that's what we're really empowered, you know, uh, proud of. Sorry. <laughs> That's what we're most proud of is really empowering the organization to be able to understand and, and move their the needle forward. So it's not necessarily just about let's make this big moment, let's get this really big uh, you know, campaign to have a big news headline, but how can we really make sure that we're setting long-term goals and we're moving ourselves towards them? Now, one of the things that's pretty unique about you that you said is that you really um, customize um, a team according to what your client is really looking for and what their needs really are. And so, you know, you let me know you have about 30 different freelancers and contractors that work with you who have all different um, skill sets. And so you'll kind of grab from any one of those according to what the client's needs really are. Can you give some, um, can you give some tips maybe on how you manage so many different freelancers and so many different pieces of the pie. And this is really a project management question and really a leadership question. So what skills have you learned and how to successfully manage multiple people working on a project? So I say that number one is just trying to make sure that you have a good working relationship and, and almost friendship. I know that's a lot, it's against what a lot of people believe in, you know, you don't mix friends with business, but I found that, um, Building a trust is probably the most important thing. So I trust the people that I work with to really do a good job and, and represent Why Whisper's name well. Um, and building that and making sure that it's someone from the get-go that I feel that about is really important. And you can follow your gut there. I'd say in terms of, you know, understanding who all of them are, I try and learn as much about them as possible. So what causes they're passionate about, what their background is, what kind of people they work well with, what they, you know, who they don't work well with. Um what their skill sets are, what they would like to learn more about. And then, you know, when clients come along, I try and match that. And, you know, it's 
it's worked really well so far, I think, because we aren't taught to to really match ourselves against a job that way. You know, it's very much like, let's find a paycheck, let's find health benefits, <laughs> let's move ourselves forward that way. It's not, let me do something I'm really passionate about. And when you're passionate about something, the way that you work changes. Okay, so you manage all of these different contractors and all these different projects, all these different freelancers. What kind of internal structure do you have that takes care of that? Like, because you're a collective or an agency, like, is there some sort of an agreement that, you know, are you just sort of hiring them for their service? Or is are, are they sort of, do, do they wear your name badge, basically, when they come in? And is there a certain percentage on how you've really structured that deal for them to be a part of your team? So there's an overarching member agreement that I have in place with every freelancer. Um, and essentially, it just says that, you know, it's, it's, it's basically just saying that they're, they're part of our team and it kind of passes out our payment structure and everything at the upfront, which means that when a project comes along, all we have to do is sign a project sheet that says how many hours it's for and what the amount is for. As far as payment, um, I ask them to bid out what they think is there and then I pay that. And I don't give a budget to a client until I've worked that out. So it's really very much based on this idea of paying us all what we believe we're worth. I don't try and say to someone, this is what it is and this is what you're getting paid. Um, and as far as managing it, I use various tools to kind of manage project workflow and manage invoicing. I'm a FreshBooks user. I'm an Asana user. So FreshBooks is for you know, online invoicing. Um, and Asana is for project management and kind of the different minutia of the day-to-day details and due dates and all that fun stuff. Got it. Um, you mentioned that you you have worked with mem- mentors before and that like your past boss was a mentor. How important has having a mentor in your life been to you growing yourself as a business owner? Hugely. Um, and I'd say that there's several people and, and probably many people that have had an impact on that. But I think that, you know, we're taught to kind of say everything's perfect all the time and that we're great. <laughs> and having a mentor that's honest and says, you know, this has happened and this isn't always going to be easy and you got to work through this or this is how I, you know, navigated a similar experience. That's so invaluable, I can't even tell you. It just helps you know, like, you're not doing anything wrong just because you're stressed out one day. You're just navigating through something that everyone else has before you and you can take their learnings and you can try your own. Give us a little snapshot of how things were like, because you just started your company in 2013. So how have how has business gone thus far? Like what major hiccups have you come across thus far? As far as business, like if you were to look at it on a piece of paper, it's been miraculously very good. I haven't had to seek out business yet, and we're actually booking four months ahead. Um, you know, I, I've been very blessed to have a lot of referrals and and you know, business has come along well in terms of finding freelance talent. That's also been, you know, pretty seamless, I'd say. And the hardest things for me are just making sure that I'm constantly reevaluating our product offering and what we're doing and to make sure that we're really being impactful because that's what's most important to me. At the end of the day, like, I need checks, I need money to pay myself and pay people, but more than that is really that intrinsic motivation that this has to matter and this has to be doing something. So, I'd say that's probably the hardest part for me as a business owner. Well, you had mentioned to me earlier on before we got on the call that, you know, you like started growing really fast, like really fast, really, really well. And you actually had to kind of shake things up a little bit because of that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, So what you're talking about is essentially we started getting too many clients too quickly. 
And I wasn't having a problem staffing them, and I was putting together teams, but I started burning out. And, you know, I, I started kind of reevaluating. We had all these metrics of success, the things that you and I normally would think about. So, it's, you know, are we making enough of the, the right revenue, margin, all of that fun stuff? And what I realized was that that kind of obsession on the dollar bottom line was against everything that I had built the company to do. And what I... I was in the shower, and I was trying to think how I could change this. It's where and all the best ideas come from, I'm telling you. <laughs> in the <Seriously>, shower. <laughs> always. Sometimes now my new strategy is when I'm stressed out, I just get in the shower. It doesn't matter what time it is, it's a fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. But so I really was like, how can I change this? And I was like, why am I making this so complicated? It's really not that complicated. You know, like, I don't need to worry about all of these numbers. I mean, I still pull them on a weekly basis, but my goal isn't to increase them. What I've changed it to is it's just a checklist. And am I hitting the, these six major points? And I made it about, you know, number one, am I happy? Number two, am I feeling overwhelmingly anxious? Mm-hmm. Number three, am I paying my bills? Number four, am I creating and fostering relationships with new freelancers? Number five, am I taking meetings with people that are trying to change the world? And number six, am I attending events around social change? And because I realized that as long as I'm hitting those six points, everything else kind of flows and happens. Um, and what I did beneath each checkpoint was kind of made like a decision matrix. So obviously, if I'm not paying bills, okay, now you have to look at the revenue. Now you have to look at how many clients you have in the pipeline, right. all of that fun stuff. But if I'm not, if I'm, I'm hitting those checkpoints, then there's really no reason for me to obsess over the dollar sign. Uh, and it changed everything for me. It just really changed why, you know, my state of being, essentially. How often do you actually check in on that? Like, are you checking in on that before you take Once on a client? A or, like, every week as you're sort of in the throes of, of everything? Every Friday. Really? Yes. I have a, a 3 p.m. date with myself to pull the numbers, which I pull just so that I have, you know, tracking of everything and cash flow status and all of that but to actually take a hard look at my checklist to make sure that I'm really hitting it. Has there ever been a week where you didn't hit something major and you kind of had to make a whole shift, and what happened then? Um, I'd say the hardest part is the anxious, number two. So um, that one, you know, that one sometimes I still I still struggle with, and I'd say that's probably more of an internal struggle than anything else. So, yes, sometimes I, I won't be able to check off if I'm not feeling anxious, but... Um, that usually has to do is like, okay, take some time for yourself. Make sure you're not working too much. Those right. types of things. I feel that a lot too. Like a lot. Like I'm, I'm pretty, like I have to, I think anxious is a kind of a natural state for me. I hate admitting, but <laughs> like <laughs> I, ha- I hate it. Yeah. Like I have to kind of walk <laughs> myself off the edge a little bit, you know, like it's just like, I have to consciously think of like, just be in the moment, just be in the moment. Like every, inevitably every Sunday I'm like, having major anxiety over the things that need to get done in order for this week, this coming week to be good, you know? Like, I have that all the time. And I have to actively work out of that. Sunday sad. What is it called? Sunday sad. Oh, man, that's such a good term for it. My friend calls it that, and it's just so on point, because it really is. It's like, I thought it would go away when I went on my own. And and no, it's just there. It's like this constant, like, but it is. It's it's an internal thing that I struggle with, and I think for so long I've tried to pretend outwardly that I don't, and then I just kind of realized one day I'm just going to put it out there because so many other people are struggling with it. I might as well let them know they're not alone. That's really true. And, and, you know, like, it's not that I'm not excited about 
my work week ahead because I'm super excited about what I get to do. But it's just like, like I get, I get drowned in the details. I can feel overwhelmed really easily. And I think it's, you know, that's part of the reason why. So it's so, like, what do you do in those moments when you've come to that Friday and you're doing your checklist and you can't check off, you know, am I not feeling anxious? Like, what do you do? Um, I used to try and, you know, organize myself and think that, that was going to help. And it does sometimes help, but sometimes I realize you, you just start spinning in circles and it doesn't actually accomplish anything. So what I've started doing is if I can't check that off, then I, I get out. Um, I, I close my computer. I call up somebody to go meet me for a coffee. Um, I take a nice long walk to meet them. And I think between the exercise and, and realizing that, you know, life is bigger than our to-do lists and our companies, you know, it's about the people that kind of just helps to, to reset. Where do you see your big goals coming up? Like, where are you headed from here? It's a good question. Um, I think, you know, it changed a lot when I realized that I wasn't trying to scale to be this massive operation, that it was really more about the quality than it was the quantity. Um, my goals are really to see if I can, can keep kind of centering myself around this and then helping other people to, to live the same way. I've met a lot of freelancers that, you know, now that we work together, they're like, it's just so different. We think differently about work. And I think I'm learning every day how to do it for myself. And I, I, so I would say it's not a hard, fast thing that I can really say. How can I continue to love what I do, work hard, but enjoy my life, you know, and keep furthering this idea of changing what it means to be working? Hmm. I love that. Well, Alex, I want to kind of transition into the very last part of our interview. I didn't prep you for this, by the way. This is this is what I call our favorite five. And so I'm going to ask you five questions about your favorite whatever. And then you just, you know, return back to me the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. All right. So what is your favorite business book? Ooh, that's a really hard one. First one that comes to mind. I'm sure that there are a ton. Hmm. It's not really a business book, but it kind of is serving as one. Does that count? Sure. Um, and so I'm in the middle of Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. I love her. Um, and that's been serving as my business book. <laughs> nice. I love Brene Brown. I think she's amazing. Oh, she's phenomenal. Anyone who does not know her, look her up immediately. It's just, I mean, so empowering. Okay, how about one of your favorite business tools? Business tools. Are we talking like software? Yeah, anything. Anything that makes your business easier to manage or run for you. Well, I mentioned two of them that I live and die by, essentially, which are Asana for project management and FreshBooks for online invoicing and, you know, reporting. Nice. Now, this is going to be a tough question, but, you know, I'm going to ask you your favorite nonprofit or your favorite cause, really. And I know you have a lot of them. You're a very passionate person about a lot of them. But if you, if there was one that's sincerely close to your heart, which is it? Um, it's actually easier than, than I would like it to be, but it's dosomething.org. Um, it's all about – the reason I, I love them is because they're incredibly innovative. They have a really strong voice. They're not afraid to say things that are controversial, and it's all about activating younger generations in, in work for different causes. And they'll support different things, but they'll do drives for genes, you know, like, um, and it's, it's, I mean, they're, they're incredible. I recommend everyone check them out. Do something.org, right? Yes. Awesome. 
All right. And now I noticed that you're a little Can bit. Can I give of, a follow up on that one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Go ahead. <laughs> DonorsChoose.org is another one that I really love. And it's essentially teachers all around the country that put up their needs for their classrooms. And you can um, donate to specific classrooms. And if you donate $50, you get a whole big envelope of thank you notes from that classroom. Wow. DonorsDo.org? No, donors choose, D-O-N-O-R-S, choose, dot org, C-H-O-O-S-E. Um, it's also really, I actually give my clients gift cards to donors choose for the holidays because I think it's just a really great way to, to give back while giving. So. Cool. Love that. Thank you. Okay, so now I did notice on social media, um, I, I went and checked out your Twitter, and you got a couple of, like, pictures of, like, really cool meals that you've had. So I'm gathering you as, like, a little <laughs> bit of a foodie. So... Um, so tell us maybe your favorite food, like just, I know there's a lot of it, but just favorite food. I live and breathe food. That's really, I mean, that's like (laughs) my biggest passion. Um, my favorite food, well, my favorite cuisine is sushi followed by Mexican. Oh, nice. Two very Um, good ones. Yeah. And I have like a really disgusting habit of chimichangas. I eat them probably three times a week. (laughs) Where's yep. the best place to get chimichangas in New York? Downtown Bakery. It's a tiny little hole in the wall on First Avenue between 4th and 5th Street. Nice. So you, if you were in the New York area or you're about to go visit New York, you've got to go. Wait, Downtown Bakery, that's what it's called? Downtown Bakery. Hole nice. in the wall. Do not be fooled. Nice. Okay. That's where all the best food is, by the way. Um, <laughs> okay. And then lastly, um, which is your favorite social media platform? Like your, your favorite to use. Twitter? Twitter. Awesome. That came very fast. I have met, I've met probably six or seven of my freelancers through Twitter. Um, I've met clients through Twitter. I've talked to people around the world through Twitter. I just think it's an amazing platform for connecting. Awesome. Love it. Well, Alex, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for going into your business and how you've been growing it. And big congratulations to all the great things that you're doing out there. Thank you so much, Katie. I appreciate it. Hands down, my favorite part of that conversation, and I think the most applicable tool to take away from there is her checklist for how she actually measures success. I love that. All of the tools that we talked about today, as well as her favorite five, can all be found on the show notes page specifically for Alex, which is bizwomenrock.com forward slash 113. Thanks so much for being here, and thanks for listening. Thanks for just being amazing and wanting to learn through these stories because there's so much wisdom here. I love you and I can't wait to see you on the next episode. Just a little insight to my psyche that I want a farm with tons of animals. Like that's the animal lover I am. I will rescue all sorts of animals and love them and just have them roaming all over on hundreds and hundreds of acres. That just sounds like so much fun to me.